I'm not going to try so hard because I think in, in anything when you try to push push and push too hard just just don't quite get there it's like the throttle of a car if you push it right to, you hit it right to the bottom and start and you try hard try hard to get there and all of a sudden you know you, you get halfway and you say oh wow I'm going too fast I'm going to slow down but by this time I think it's you've already hurt yourself and I think you're already use more fuel and that you don't might not have enough to get to the end so I think you take it more steady from the start and I think most people that start their first attempt to qualify for any goal they're so scared not to achieve it they go at it too hard to start Welcome to the New Leaf Running Podcast. I'm your host, Rick Canning, and that was Reno Levesque. I've known Reno for many years now, and he's actually the first official athlete I coached back when I was starting this whole coaching runners thing. Reno's been with me since the beginning, and not only have I coached him for running, he's mentored me a bit on the business side, and we've become friends over the years. This conversation really does have it all. We unpack five decades of Reno's history with running. During this time, he's overcome a heart arrhythmia, which sent him into the ER, where he actually ended up meeting his future wife, who was a nurse there at the time. Reno is also an entrepreneur who has had three very successful startup businesses in his career, and we go deep into this, drawing many parallels between business and running. At the core of it, this is a conversation about goal setting, managing expectations, and confidence. Reno has been working hard chasing after a Boston qualifying marathon time since day one when we first started working together. He's trained hard. He's been physically and mentally ready to achieve this goal a few times, but distance running, especially marathon running, can be a really cruel sport. It doesn't care how ready you are. Sometimes it's just not going to be your day. Through it all, we've had some some big triumphs, we've had some big heartbreaks, and I truly do think that this is an important conversation that any runner who's out there chasing a BQ needs to hear. After the last attempt at going for a Boston qualifying time, Reno took a bit of a break from running. And he actually hopped on his bike and took a trip biking all the way from Halifax, Nova Scotia to Miami, Florida. And this was quite a tale. Following the bike trip, Reno has regained his confidence and is back running again. But this time with a whole new perspective. Yes, he still wants that BQ, but the most important part now is having fun along the way. So without further ado, here's today's conversation. Hi, Reno. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for taking the time out of your day to to sit down and and join me this evening. I really appreciate it. Thank you, Rick. You and I have known each other for quite a while, and 
especially this time of year um, with the pandemic. It's a pleasure. Thank yeah. you. It's, I've, I'm really enjoying the opportunity to uh, to sit down and with people and chat about running. It does seem like a little bit of a selfish endeavor right now, just because I get to have these great conversations, but I am quite happy to be able to, to share them with everybody right now. I think it's been pretty well received so far. So we'll just keep up, uh, keep up the, the podcasting for now. Um, so I'm really happy that, that you reached out to me. Um, you've been, like I said, you were my first official athlete that that I had the opportunity to coach when I was getting started up many years ago. And um, I think you're also my longest standing client if we add up the, the two times that we've uh, been working together. So I am going to really enjoy this opportunity to sit down and talk with you without my coach hat on. So I think that's going to be a lot of fun. Um, so one thing I've got to say is that over the past few years, as I've gotten to know you, it's been a ton of fun um, working with you. And it's been a lot of fun seeing you progress as a runner. And I also feel like I've been able to learn a lot from you just with your extensive background in the in the business world. So it's been a really fun and uh, great relationship for me. And I've just been very happy that I've been able to, to get to know you over these past few years. Well, thank you for saying that. I mean, it's just fantastic when you, uh, you get a little older in life. Um, those are the things you want to hear because one of the only things you can offer in, in, in my seat is experience and what I've learned. So if you can catch some of that, and it's free. <laughs> yeah, I've always really appreciated our our chats uh, around around business and any time that we've had the opportunity to talk things sort of outside of outside of running. Um, and I'm thinking for today's chat, it's probably just best that we start all the way back at the beginning of of your story. I think that's a really good place to to start today. I think we've got a lot to get through, and I think that's going to be the the spot where it's going to make the most sense to to begin. So, do you want to start by by telling me a little bit about yourself and how you were introduced into running and how that's become a part? of your life. Rick, uh, it, like I said earlier, it's uh, a five-decade story, so I'm, I'm going to try to make it as, as short as possible, but it's hard. I mean, it's 50 years. So I left home. I was 17 years old to go to college. I had never run, um, nothing organized uh, as far as any sports. It was basically a farm thing. We had, I was brought up on the farm. Get up in the morning early, uh, did our chores, went to school on the bus, 15-mile ride. And uh, after school, we had to come back and do the same thing. And so when I left home, the young of four, nobody had ever left home. We go to Muckton, New Brunswick, and uh, to study a mechanical degree, which I had no idea what that was. But I, I did do that. Uh, so the first year, as we all know, we partied, we ate, 
And we drank. I gained 40 pounds first year. And uh, second year, I was on my way up at some more pounds. Uh, when I left home, I was 170 pounds strong in shape because we worked hard on the heart. So two years later, I was not in shape. So I decided that I was going to lose that weight. And one of the one of the ways to do that is I said, well, I can go to the gym, and do a little bit of running. Uh, picked up volleyball. That was a good sport. It was offered to us. To, so I did that. And after a while, well, um, I started working for a company, and it was a good company, and they offered me a lot of opportunities. And so I moved to Frederick, New Brunswick. Where's that's the first place I ran my first marathon, Rick? First wow. marathon. Yeah. I never told you that. No, you didn't. No. And here's how it happened. Um, I was working out at the YMCA, never ran that much. Me ran here two miles, three miles, miles at that time. Uh, it wasn't kilometers. So one night uh, after a workout at the gym, we all decided a bunch of guys to go to the pub and uh, had a few beers, maybe a few too many. And uh, there was a gentleman there with us that worked at the Y and he was a runner and he challenged us. It was a marathon the next day from Fredericton to Mactaquac and back. So we thought it was, uh, that's not a big deal. So he challenged us. He said, you guys want to run that marathon? I'll pay all the beer all night for anybody that does this. So we all jumped on it, six of us. The next morning. <laughs> after after a hard morning, night drinking. And no next, training. And no training the next morning. No training. So we decided to run this marathon. And, and, it, and we had to do it under four hours. Oh, wow. Yeah, under four hours. So we took off, and you know how that felt, 7 o'clock in the morning. And by 8 o'clock, I said, I'm going to die. But I kept going. And, and all of a sudden, one guy dropped off, and then a second guy dropped off, and then a third. Another guy that was with me decided he was going to stick around. And, and, and actually, we finished it. And as you say sometimes, the finish wasn't pretty. <laughs> <laughs> but it was just under four hours. And I guess my point here is when you have the ability, the, 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 when you're young, uh, your body can take that. Um, when you get older, <laughs> to do something like that would probably not be possible. But anyway, we got it done. and. Uh, after that, that was in the 70s, I uh, started playing racquetball. We moved to Moncton. Racquetball was a big sport, and, and it went on and on. Uh, 80s, yeah. I want to touch, go back a little bit and just stop you back at this this crazy story we were just talking about because like running under four hours with, with no training is not not a small feat. So there, there is many a runner out there who have trained for a marathon, maybe more than one marathon, and have not run under, not run, not run under four hours. I know, I just barely didn't run on run under four hours my first marathon, and I trained for it. Now, granted, I've told that story before, and I didn't really know what I was doing at the time, but I, I still trained pretty hard for it. 
So you obviously had some sort of knack for it, or you were just really, really mentally strong and stubborn that you weren't going to lose this bet, which is also a good trait to have as a, as a distance runner. So I just want to take a minute to appreciate that, although it was a pretty crazy bet, the fact that you were actually able to pull it off while all of your friends dropped away, I think is pretty incredible. Well, you know something, the mental part of it was probably the most important, but I also was young. So the body followed. All right. So sorry to interrupt. We were, you were talking. So after that, you got into uh, playing some racquetball. So you're being active that way, right? Well, the late 70s and uh, the beginning of the 80s was the racquetball era. Uh, everybody was getting into it. The clubs were popping up here and there and everywhere. It's Halifax, Fredericton, Moncton, DEI. And we really got involved, uh, really got involved with racquetball. And I had a lot of time to, at, at that time because I was working for a company that, that allowed me to uh, have a lot of free time. So I was playing racquetball every day, three, four hours, and then I get into coaching and uh, racquetball. So I started playing nationally at a national level. And that was great. And uh, in mid-1980s, everything fell apart in the racquetball world. People didn't want to go to the bar after the game, and that's where the clubs were making money. Clubs never make money with a racquetball court that was 20 by 40 and charging you $4 an hour to play racquetball. You can make more money storing storing equipment in in that space. So, But they made a lot of money on the business side. You made a lot of money with bars, uh, parties they were having on the weekends. They had bands. So it was more like a club than it was a racquetball club. So then it died. So what do you do? So it was another sport that, come, that was always existing, but not, not as heavy in, in our area. It was uh, squash. So then we picked up squash. Squash and, is uh, a lot of fun. I picked up squash um, just before university and imagine it's kind of similar to racquetball, but squash is hard. Like that's, it is quite hard. And it's uh, endurance is amazing. So in between all of these sports, I was always running a little bit. I find it sometimes to go out and run three, four miles and six, seven kilometers today and do some weights um, and, and try to keep in shape. And uh, that's how it, you know, again, it, it, it was never about running. It was always about doing a, a team sport or something competitive against somebody else. But in 1990s, um, 1993 to be exact, I was playing in a final squash game. I mean, I wasn't the best out there by far because Halifax had some great players and Moncton had some great players, and, but I was in the finals in my, in my division. And all of a sudden my heart took off. And as I found out after I ended up in the, in the hospital, it was beating at uh, over 300 beats per minute. And it's wow. called, uh, it's called arrhythmia or um, atrial fibrillation. And that's when I found out that there was something wrong there. That must have been so scary at that point when that just, it happened to you during the squash game, was it? Is that when that? 
I was in the finals. Yeah, yeah. And I uh, in the finals in squash, uh, you could ask for a uh, injury timeout or a a timeout which it would give you fifteen minutes. And uh, I went in the back of the court, and I sat there, and I could could feel a vibration on my shirt, and all of a sudden, after a while, it just kind of boom, it just get back to normal rhythm. So I went back in and I, I look at the referee and I said, if this happens again, I'm, I won't come back. So I started and two minutes later, I was out again. Oh, wow. ended up in, I ended up in ICU. Yeah. By the way, this is where, this is where I met Kathy, my wife. Oh, that, that's a silver lining. Now it is a silver lining. I ended up in the hospital and my heart was beating 305 beats per minute. And uh, they had to shut it down. They had to just stop my heart wow and that is that's Ka- scary kathy was a nurse yeah, giving me the injection to do that <laughs> and i was looking at her and she was a beautiful woman but i was married at the time and uh, my first wife and uh i said wow it's not so bad <laughs> but all of a sudden woof my everything just went beautiful it's like i was on cloud nine when it happened my heart had stopped for very short period of time and it kicked in again at normal rhythm and that's uh the story of that and that was in the 90s and so after that i had to be very careful because it was happening anytime that i would push hard at any sport so i was still doing it i was still running i was still doing some stuff a little bit cycling um and in 2000 in the 2000 era, I moved into, Kathy and I built a house in, in the country, and uh, we moved in there, and we were just doing some running on the side of the road in the country, and a little bit of cycling, and nothing serious. It's just trying to keep in shape. I had a gym in our house, and it was nice, and, but it was, it kept happening uh, that I had these episodes, so uh, every time that it was that serious, I you try to fix it. I had oblations. I don't know if you know what oblations are. I don't know. Oblations are is when you go into your heart and they, they pace your heart so you can find where they, it's an electrical problem. It's not a plumbing problem. It's an electrical problem. So they try to find out where it is. And then what they do, they burn it. They burn where they say. Yeah, you, you were telling me about some of those procedures that you had. Before. Yeah. 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 So, but they could never find the problem. So, just kept living with it. And, uh, but in 2010. Um, oh, so just give me, give me a second here. So, every time that happened, did you have a, like a protocol that you needed to, to follow? Like, did you have a, or did you just end up back at the, the ICU? Like, how, how did that work? No, actually, uh, I only was at the ICU once. Um, the second time it happened, um, it wasn't as serious. Uh, the third time that happened, it was serious. I, it was, yeah, it was close. But the beauty part of that time is that I had a monitor on me. I was running. And it, my heart took off in, the, in this crazy speed. And uh, they were able to map it right on the machine when I was running. And uh, so they took me in. I saw a specialist, which saw it right away. And he said, look, 
if I can do this to you, I think I can fix it. And he did. And there was a great, great doctor from, uh, he was located in St. John, New Brunswick, can you imagine? And uh, he fixed it. That was the last time I've ever had an episode. That was in 2010, in March 2010. That's a yeah, long time to be dealing with that, right? That's, you say, early 90s to... Uh, yeah, 1993, yeah. It was to, a long time. to 2010. That's a long time yeah. to be managing that. Yeah. yeah, and that's when I started running. Seriously, because he said to me, I said, he said, I think I fixed you. I was in the hospital. He said, I think I fixed you. I said, how can we be sure? Well, he said, you like to run? I said, yeah, I like to run. He said, just... Give it yourself. Give yourself three days and go running. So we, Kathy and I, were we had scheduled to go to Mexico, and we went to Mexico. And uh, and I never even thought of that something would have happened in Mexico. I probably wouldn't have been insured or anything, but it, it wasn't thinking of those those things. And it was uh, about twenty eight degrees Celsius, and I went and ran twelve kilometers. Wow! And it was it was fantastic. It was yep. great. It was not no problem. And came back and uh, and after that we uh, decided to retire, sell the business, and move to Halifax. That's amazing. And then we, and then we get into the twenty tens. Twenty tens was where I met Rick Canny. <laughs> I think before we get. Before we get into that, I think there's a lot of intertwined um, story to do with, with all of your your businesses, and I think that the, there there is a lot to to talk about there. Um, and I think it just kind of fits the fits the timeline because you you had three startups in your career, right? You you started three of your own companies, which is pretty amazing. Do you want to you want to maybe take a few minutes and just walk me through that and how, how you decided to, to launch that first one and just go from there? Oh, well, the first one was, it was like a no-brainer. Um, Honeywell Limited was my employer and good employer. They saw something in me probably that I didn't. Um, they thought that Atlantic Canada was too small for me, so they wanted to after three years with them, um, they wanted to send me to Toronto for uh, a good promotion. And it was interesting. When somebody tells you that, it was, you know, blow me away. So I went to Toronto and, and uh, listened to what they had to say. And I was going to accept the position until this young guy from Montreal who had been transferred in Toronto a few months prior. And he asked me, he said, are you going to take the job? And I said, well, I think so. Promotion is great. Uh, they're going to relocate me, the house, the housing, they're going to subsidize the housing, depending on, on where I'm, I want to locate. And he said, can we have lunch? And I said, sure. So we had lunch and he said, and I'll never forget that day. He said, Reno, I got to know you a little bit last year. You don't fit here. <laughs> so I looked at him. So th this mean? wasn't the guy who was offering you the job, right? This is, this is another guy. No, no. This this yeah. is a guy that, it was like me. It was my age. Yeah. 
And he said, he said, you don't fit here. So why? He said, you want to be rewarded based on performance. He said, yeah, don't you? He said, well, kind of, but not like you. He said, if you come here, performance is not the most important thing. It's politics. A lot of politics, and that's over. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I'm coming from the farm. I don't know anything about politics back then. So anyway, I went back to my boss, or my future boss, and I asked him that question. I said, what's the politics here? What's going on? And he looked at me and said, who have you been talking to? <laughs> I said, well, it doesn't matter. Are you bringing me here for a certain reason that I really I wouldn't fit? Because I don't want to move my family here, move my wife here. And then, you know, I don't like it, so I have to go back. He's, I said, I'm not political. I am I like to work, and I like to get rewarded based on what I do. And he looked at me, and he said, maybe you should stay in Planet Canada. Wow. Yeah. At least it was an honest conversation, right? Very. And I never appreciated something so much, especially that, that guy that told me. And on the way back, on the plane, I had picked up a name for my company called Advanced Energy Management. And that was the first company I started. So, But when I got back, I, I didn't have the resources to start that company right away. So I did stay with Honeywell for a couple more years. And then uh, one day I just said, okay, I'm, I'm going on my own. So it was in the same, so the same sector the, of the work that you were doing for, for this other company. But that... Yes. But that experience just kind of cemented in your brain that in order to really get rewarded for the work that you were doing based on your performance, that the only way you were going to be satisfied with that is if you were completely in control, right, of your, of your destiny. Right. Yeah, That's right. And, and here in, in Atlantic Canada, people are different than the big centers. Um, it's 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 totally different, and here you have to pay attention, very much attention to demands, the needs, and it's building relationships are so important in anything you do here. In the big city, there's so many people there, so if you lose a client today, you'll get two tomorrow. But here you don't have that. Here it's create relationships, you create trust, and that's what we did. That's what we did with advanced energy management, and uh, it worked out really well. So the advanced energy, the AEM was your second company, right? The, or well, that was the first company. Okay. And, and the second one was one called Levec Technology, and, and that was all that was basically was a supplying company. It was a company that would supply product. Yep. Um, and that one was not a very active one. Um, the advanced energy management company was more, um, it's the one that lasted for, well, it's still in existence uh, after 35 years, I think we're 30 some years, but I had it close to 25 and then, uh, and then decided to, to, to get some uh, younger blood in the company. Yep. And so it could continue to grow. And uh, that's what happened with that company. 
Now the third how, one. <laughs> so wait, so how did you, so how are you, so that, that was the decision to sell some of your shares there was to help that company, help that company grow is to, to bring in some new innovations, some new ways of thinking just to kind exactly. of help things keep going forward. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I stayed with that company for a few years. Um, as just basically as a, a consultant, a salesperson, because uh, with AEM, I was never the, the manager. I, I, something that I I don't have a passion for. My passion was just to uh, build relationships. And, well, that was exa- you had all of the relationships that they needed to to make the sales. So that's, that's correct. Yeah, and this, and sales to me is. It's the most important thing in a business. Uh, I know that it, the old thing in the past that salesmen are just salesmen, but no, in sales, uh, you need to sell before you can do anything else. And uh, that word has been used wrongly in a different ways. But uh, I used, I, I like to call it building relationships. 100%. And it's something that is, it's so true. Even like, especially today too, like if you're starting up a business like, like me, who's coaching and you could be the best coach in the world, but if you don't know how to sell, then you're never going to have enough clients to, to do anything with. Right. So the sales is so important and it's, and it's not easy. Like it's not something that you, unless you go out and actively try to learn it, like if you were trying to learn to become a coach or trying to learn a skill with the, you needed your like mechanical degree, you have to approach sales the same way, I think, because it's, it's just as important as a service that, that you're providing, if not more important. That's right. Yeah. That's right. All right. So we had AEM and you sold you sold your shares and you kind of went semi, semi retired. And then, yes. Yeah. Semi retired. Maybe I was still working part time with AEM. And, um, in 2008, I sold the remainder of the shares. Yep. So that meant that I was, uh, pretty well completely out of AEM and retired fully. So in 2009, um, maybe not even after 2008, of course, uh, you know, when you're in business all your life, I mean, that's, it, it, I needed to do something else. Yeah. And there was not a whole lot that I knew. I mean, I knew the world I was in with AEM and Honeywell. And so what else do I do? You were picking up a bit of cycling at this time, right? And you were getting a bit into that. When it started in uh, in 2000, when I moved into Cambridge Narrows in 2002, um, I bought a, a, a road bike. And again, I was doing some, some running. Uh, and I, I bought one of those real fast uh, street bikes. And... Uh, then we decided it was a bunch of people that wanted to do some biking around Fredericton and all this. So I kind of joined this group. And then we decided to do a, a road trip around the province uh, to raise funds for cancer. And uh, I said, wow, that's amazing. That was fun. It was a whole week. 
a bunch of guys, 14 of us. Um, it was called the, the, uh, the Tree of Hope, but it was, this was called the Tour of Hope. And we raised a bunch of fun, uh, funds and spoke to a lot of schools, to kids. And uh, so, yeah, I was starting to do some cycling at the time. Just a little bit. So you hadn't you hadn't really been exposed to too much super long distance cycling at that point. Like when you took off on that trip around around the province, was that a pretty new? Yeah, that was the, the the first long long run. But b- before that, I actually went from Moncton to Halifax. Oh wow! On, yeah, that was the first time that I that was my first longest run. Uh, longest on a bike. On a, a bike, yes, on the on the uh, mountain bike. Yeah. Oh, you did it on a mountain bike. Wow. On a, yes, and I I followed all the back roads. And that was quite interesting. It took me two days, and when I get to uh, I'll never forget that um, I get into Dartmouth, and uh, I came up the highway. They, it was very dangerous. Uh, it was scary, and I I had to go into the ditch to get into the. I think it was the Crown Plaza. Uh, it's called the Grand Plaza Hotel in Dartmouth. And when I got there, I went to the bar and I just just went, poof. And that was two days and I was just so tired. I couldn't believe it. But anyway, that was that was back then. For sure. Things yeah, yeah. Sure. So we're doing a bit of cycling, but you're still finding that you need to find something else. You need to Dip your toe back in the in the business world again. Get the itch. Get the itch, and uh, so I started a company called. But a friend of mine that used to work for used to work for Advanced Energy Management. We've known each other since day one. He was one of my first employees. Uh, he wanted something new as well, so we decided to start another company called Performance Management Company (PMC Energy), and that company was. It was just started for fun. Uh, we had a few little few dollars that we wanted to put into a pot and go into a building and, and, and retrofit their building so they wouldn't cost so much energy to operate it. And we would do all these changes and we wouldn't they wouldn't have to pay any money up front. That's, that's an interesting money. concept. You don't you and, don't get paid until it pays back. Well, that's why it's called performance. Yeah, and I all I and I always from day one with going way back. But to me, performance was important. You perform, you get paid. You get paid a lot. And that but probably goes pay. goes right back to farming because you you don't get paid when you farm unless you you work the the fields and you, you get paid yeah. for the exact amount of work that you do. <laughs> well, that's, right. that's if you can sell it, right? <laughs> if you have a good product and you can sell it, you're going to get paid for it. And and all along, like people that the companies that do work and, and they don't do nice work, but they, they still get paid uh, because there's lawsuits if they don't. And so this concept, uh, it's not new, but a lot of people are scared of it because they don't think it's a good risk. Well, if you know what you're doing, it's a fantastic risk. I mean, if you knew that you can save money, if you look at a building and you say, I can save a lot of money in that building because it's really, look at, at what they pay every year with the, with, the, with the square footage and convert that into a kilowatt hour per square foot. You say, hey, 
I can go from 30 kilowatt hour per square foot to 15. That's 50% savings. Simple yeah. math. Yeah, so to say for you, it's less of a gamble and just having the knowledge to to understand what the potential gains and efficiency are. And then, yeah, you, you run the numbers on that and you know what the the end product's going to be yeah. and how much the return's going to be. That's correct. And it's so simple and it, it works so well. But you got to know what to do. So, yeah, you got to know that. your stuff before you go <laughs> and try and, try and sell that stuff. Yeah. Yeah. So, so we did that for uh, first year was slow. We started slow. And the second year, we all of a sudden, the main was there. And the third year and the fourth year was a whole thing. We need to, we need to get some new blood again because by this time, my partner and I were, you know, we're 60 years old at the time. And I said, whoa, okay, this is growing really. So we decided to bring in three young guys, uh, an engineer, um, a business uh, major, a, an IT guy, and all with passionate, passionate desire in life to, to, to run a business and, and, and skilled and intelligent. But guess what? No money. <laughs> Which was, you know, all of us when we started business, we have no money. So anyway, we decided to uh, help him out and finance it and, and uh, let it go. And we, we sold half of it uh, the first year, and three years later, we sold the other half. And those guys got 50 employees now and uh, doing extremely well. So, I say, yeah, th- this business, it, it growed pretty fast, right? Like this, yeah. it, it took off yeah. a lot faster than, than what you were expecting, right? A lot, a lot faster. But it's a good concept. Uh, yeah. it's, it's a great concept. So what do you think, like concept aside, like is obviously a really good idea. Like what, what do you think the other factors for success in that venture would be? Like, do you think that uh, everything that you were into, was that like, would you say that that was the most successful one? Or I guess it's two, two questions yeah. there. <laughs> well, the thing, <laughs> when you're talking about, Financials. Um, somebody told me one day when I went to a seminar, the first business that you start, it's hard. It's tough. It takes you years. It takes you five years, six years. If you make it through the five years or six years, you probably, chances are you've made it. And, but you haven't made money. You've just survived. You've just basically survived in it. And then you're going to grow it. And then all of a sudden, you're probably going to sell it. And you're probably going to start another one. (laughs) And that second one, it's going to be a lot easier. Not going to take as much time. You've learned a lot about your mistakes. You remember your mistakes because those first mistakes, they hurt. A lot of them really, really hurt. And they say the third one, it's on cruise control. It basically runs itself. You just got to make sure you go on the right speed. And that stuck to my. It stuck in my mind when I, when I heard that seminar. I said, "Wow!" I said, I, "Well, I didn't, I didn't believe it, but now I do because I've been there." And right now, I could start a fourth business. I'd love to, <laughs> <laughs> but you know, I got to say, okay, let's back off the cruise and and and. Uh, you know, just enjoy running. <laughs> yes, yes, we are. We can come back to to talk about 
running again, but I think there's a lot of there's a lot of similarities in the in that business journey as there is in running and really anything else that you want to take on in life. Like if you're starting out at something in the beginning and you don't fully understand everything when when you want to get started and i don't think that you need to fully understand everything in order to get started or you'll never get started that's right so you got to start somewhere but you need to be prepared to put in the work but i bet too if you had somebody who is like yourself right now who was, could be a, a mentor for yourself when you were starting your first business and you had someone to share that knowledge with other than trying to figure it all out on your own, some of those bumps could have been smoothed out along the way, right? Absolutely. Could have have cut that time down and maybe it would have been more like starting the the second one maybe instead of the the first one, which I think is can draw a lot of parallels between, like I think mentorship is really important in in a lot of things that you do in life, like you see it a lot in trades, right? Like if you're going to go out and you're going to learn how to weld, or you're going to learn how to be a carpenter or anything, you always apprentice and you always try to learn from somebody. But for some reason, a lot of times when you go to start up a, a business like you've done, or like I've done, it seems more difficult to ask for help. And everyone else around you like everyone seems or they're talking to them they're all talking like they're super successful and it's really easy and you're feeling wow this is probably a lot harder for me than it seems to be for everybody else like am i doing this right or what's going on (laughs) exactly exactly it's so true the thing is i always try to when I was at AEM, I had a lot of employees at one point in time. And, and one guy would try to pass on an issue to somebody else. I said, guys, an issue, if you've never seen it before, if you've never dealt with an issue or a problem, you know, it's going to be a hard one when you get one. But if you pass it on, you'll never be good at, at solving things. Don't pass it. Just fix it. Hard at first, but a problem today, if you deal with all the problems that's coming tomorrow and the next day and the next day, in the future, these are the problems you have today. It's not a problem. It, it's not. It, it's just something that you just pass. Ah, that's nothing. Yeah. You'll get bigger problems. So you need to be able to solve these problems. And, and I've seen so many guys saying, oh, well, it's not my job. Not my fault. Pass it on to the next guy. Pass it on to the next guy. Yeah. And I have to say something to some employees today. Uh, that's one of the things that I would say. Yeah, try and use those more difficult, um, difficult problems as opportunities to learn and for growth. So you just become a more diverse and exactly. useful individual, right? I think it's so. Now we're coming back into where running is coming back into the picture. I think this was, so you can pick it up here again. So you were just getting in contact with with me at this point in time, right? Or maybe it's a bit before that. Well, actually, uh, after I got my 
my heart repaired. They had, yeah. they, had uh, they burnt, I think, in seven different areas of the heart. And it sounds bad, but it's not that bad. Just it, it gets fixed and the thing was great. So I started running again. And then I said, you know what? Maybe I can get some serious running. Maybe I can get some half marathons in there. Um, so how about we train for that? So somebody had told me, I think it was, there was an expo somewhere and uh, I saw this uh, company run well at the time. Uh, I think it was McDonald. What was his first name? Rob. Yeah. Rob, Rob McDonald. Yeah. Yeah. So Rob McDonald was yeah. there. And Dr. Thompson exactly. with the uh, active approach. Richard, Richard, that's right. So anyway, I so I mean, I get an appointment with those guys, and I went in, and and I jumped on the treadmill, and I saw my skeleton running. You know, it was everything was good, and they told me that uh, um, my gait was all right. I was okay to run. I mean, I was a big guy, not like a. 140, 150 pound guy that can run like a bullet, but I was okay to run. So and that's when the name Rick Canning come along about a new coach uh, being certified and he's looking for, uh, for lack of a better word, I guess a guinea pig to work with. <laughs> <laughs> that was exactly it back in those days. Yep. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So I gladly volunteered and, uh, yeah, I, I think I called you or you called me or we got together. And and uh, what year was that, Rick? I'm trying, it must have been 2015. I think that's when, I think that's when we got hooked up, if not a little before, but I think that was around then. Yeah. Yeah. Because I moved in Halifax, I think it was 2012 or going to 2013. Yeah, that, that would make sense. Uh, I ran uh, for a while before then and feel like, I really wanted to start running again or yeah and I remember that, that first that first marathon that I was going to help you with we didn't ha really have a a big timeline to get ready for that one if if memory was serving serving me correct I think we had a pretty short timeline and we were Which just when was that do you remember where is that the one in Montreal I think that was the one in Montreal I think so yeah and I think and we were, I, 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 said, I think we were just focused on trying to dial in in your race plan and work within the limits of, of what your plan was at that time with the with the idea that after that race is when we would strive to make the biggest improvements in in your running if I'm remembering things correctly right right yeah okay so there was uh we ran a lot of different events uh, during your coaching me. Uh, uh, I remember, I think it was the last year that I ran. Uh, I had seven half marathons that year. I think one marathon. Yeah, it was a big year this that year. It was a big year. Yeah. Um, yeah, it was, it was great. I was, I spent some time in, Actually, in Buffalo, I was running there, training, and the first time I ever ran a kilometer under four. Remember <laughs> that? I remember. We were both pretty happy about that. That was amazing. <laughs> yeah. 
we're not going to tell anybody that it was going downhill a little bit, but anyway. Hey, it still counts. <laughs> it still counts. It still I counts. couldn't do that now. I don't think I could do that now. Or maybe, I don't know. But anyway, it was uh, quite an amazing journey uh, to run with you. Um, it's amazing. I was running in Arizona. I was running uh, all over the place. Uh, ran but the, two yeah, I was gonna say the, the biggest mission behind all of this in the beginning was we you wanted to chase after a Boston qualifying marathon yes. time. That was the, yes. the ultimate goal at that yes. point in time. Yes, it was. It was still is. Still is. But yeah. but uh in the meantime I kind of lost it for a while and uh I think if I may say that now, yep. um I think it was my third attempt. My second attempt was in Arizona, um, Mesa to Phoenix, or Phoenix to Mesa. And uh, unfortunately, I, I, I finished it, but um, not under the qualifying time. And I think we were both pretty heartbroken after that one, because on that second one, like I know from just looking at what you were capable of leading up to that one, like I... I truly do believe you were capable of of running that time, and just was it, it just wasn't your day. Wasn't my day. Um, had a half marathon, and and I have to say uh, that was probably one of my finest event. Uh, that was a half marathon. Yeah. In Arizona, uh, almost same track, same area. And you had told me that day, look, we're just going to use this as a training one and uh, just run it slow. At the beginning, just go at, you know, a pace, uh, you know, very slow pace and enjoy the ride. And, you know, when you've got another 10 kilometers or eight kilometers left, if you feel good, just let it go. Let it rip. And that was the best run I've ever had. Uh, I remember I was getting past and people my age were going by me looking at me because how are you doing and then just going by and I'm saying boy I hope I have something at the end um, to catch up to you guys and uh, yes when I got to I think it was uh, 12 13 kilometers I guess I I felt great and I said okay time to let it rip and I did and I passed them all it feels and, uh, really good when you can finish a race <laughs> like that doesn't it Oh yeah, it's still fantastic. Still fantastic, and and it, you know, it, uh, it gave me a lot of confidence. And I, I guess I'll bring I'll bring confidence to the next run. Um, that was my last marathon. Um, this is the one we did in 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 Moncton, was it? Was that the last? No, that no, that one um, that one we, we we weren't even trying to qualify on that. No, one. I don't know why you, we just. Just going up for fun, yeah. Because we were training yeah. for half marathons at that time, and that's right, that's yeah. right. No, the uh, the last one, I guess, that kind of really broke my heart um, was the last one in Arizona that I was really trained well for. You trained yep. me well for that. You trained me well for that one. You that um, was the definitely the best shape that you were. You yeah, were, yeah, and you you were more than ready. Yeah, I had uh, I had gone uh, earlier, about two weeks earlier, to train to finish the training and relax, and, and 
book a condo about an hour or about a kilometers from the finish line. And uh, so uh, last week, watch cowboy movies and relaxed and, you know, it was very calm. So that day, and I get on the bus and they take us up to, in the mountains and, you know, I start running. It's, uh, I don't know, Celsius, maybe like four, five. And then it, it, the temperature rises up to about 20 in the first uh, 15 kilometers. Had to shed clothes. Look, I was going, it's almost like I wasn't even running and, and everything was going great. I was looking at my watch and I'm saying, okay, you're going a little too fast, slow down. Um, I was really doing well and it's eight kilometers slightly downhill, up two and back down for the rest of the, the run. And, you know, I get, I get into uh, 26, 27 and, and I, I, I had some lactic acid build up, but no, it was fine. I, I, I could have, it was no problem. Got into 32 kilometers and, he said, you know, I'm seven, seven minutes ahead of schedule. I get all kinds of time. I'm just going to sit down and stretch, stretch my legs. And uh, that was a big mistake. And when I went to get up, I mean, I was just ready to go. And, and I fell. <laughs> legs just didn't work anymore. <laughs> and that's my point about when you're 21 years old, running Fredericton to Mac the Quack and back without any training. Uh, my body took me, uh, took me there. But in this case, my mind was there. The cardio was there. I mean, I was ready to go, but my legs had just decided to shut down. My body was probably decided it was in a recovery mode. And uh, I fell three times and uh, that was it. Game over. I remember I, I was glued to your little dot that was going across the, the screen. And I saw you, you were doing so well. And then yeah. I, I saw that happen. And again, it was just as crushing for me as, as it was for you. Of course. In that moment yeah. And yeah. we both work so hard for that. Right. <laughs> uh, so anyway, uh, it was, it was heartbroken. So I decided at the time that I was going to take a break from running. And I did. Um, I lost my confidence in running and I said, well, I'm going to stop this for a while and do something else. And yeah. went back to biking. So I want to jump in here just a little bit because yeah. I feel like what, what unfolded there has become near and dear to my heart. Like marathon running, it is a cruel sport. Like as you can be as well trained up as you've ever been on paper, you're fit enough to achieve the goal that you want to go after. And just for some reason on that day, the stars are not aligned, the moon's not in the right phase, or whatever it may be, and it's just not going to be your day. And on top of that, if you're chasing a time standard, it gets even more difficult to achieve that. Because on any given day when you show up, there's so many variables that are not in your control. Like anything to do with the weather. It could be hotter than you're used to. It could be windier than you're used to. It could be raining. It could be hailing. Any, any amount of things that are not in your control. But any one of those things that takes it out of ideal conditions 
could have been something that was in your realm of possibility, but on that specific day that you're there and lined up to race, given the conditions, it becomes just out of reach. Just before you even start, it has nothing to do with how well you've prepared. And knowing what I know now, like similar to running, you need you you learn and you become a better coach over time. And when we were working through that together, I didn't have all of the tools developed, one, to prepare you for that to be a, a possible outcome. Like now we would have done some more mindset work going into those things. And on the other end of things too, I would have been help, able to help you better knowing what I know now to deal and process that outcome on on the end. And I guess what I want to say too is there's so much misinformation out there right now and about what it takes to achieve a time standard like a Boston qualifying time and what's involved in doing like doing that like yes there are runners out there that can go out and knock that run out of the park and get it done on their first run but in my in my experience and not just with athletes that I coach but just with runners in general like it is rare that that happens for somebody on on their first try and if it does happen and maybe that that time standard and the that goal of them wasn't at the sort of limits of their potential. But if you're tasting a time standard that is at the limits of your potential, then it is going to be difficult. And yes, it might take two, three, four times or more, but that is normal. And what happens is that there's two there's two kinds of runners that go into that situation. There's there's a runner that goes into that and is overreaching and they think that they are going to go after this time standard and they are going to hang everything on this and they go out and they're overextended and they they aren't able to make that goal. Or there's runners like you who were fit enough, were, were trained and ready to go, but it just wasn't wasn't your day. And no, no fault of yours, no fault of the training. It just wasn't, wasn't your day. But in both of those scenarios, without any tools in, in your pocket to be able to process that, runner number one ends up frustrated and really disappointed. And runner two also ends up frustrated and really disappointed. And I've seen it with a lot of runners, again, not just you, that in, in that situation, you, you do, you lose confidence in yourself. You start to think that this is not something that I'm meant to do. And it's just important for everyone to realize that it is normal to feel that way. Like when you've invested so much of your time into chasing something like that, just, it's just telling you that, yeah, it was important to you and it's okay to feel that way. But you need to, to process it when it's, when it's over. 
you need to go through and dissect it and learn from it so that you can move on from that experience and use it to build from to become stronger and better. And then so you can reconnect with why you started chasing this goal to begin with. And that's the step that so many people just don't do. They just run the race and it ends at the end of the race. There is no processing. There's just those immediate flood of emotions and that's it. And if they're bad emotions, then that's what stays there for a really long period of time. So I do believe that that step at the end, one that we missed doing, would have been really, really helpful for you in that situation. And it's something that I do know better now as a coach, that I would be more prepared to help well with said. at this point in time. And well said. That's exactly true. Absolutely. So we ended up, we finished that race and you had lost your, your confidence. You're taking a, a break from running. So, so where do you go from here? Well, that was in, if I remember correctly, 2018, I, I think. I think it was probably 2018, yeah. 2018. So uh, during the summer, I, I, I did a few little runs here and there. And then I started, I started cycling again. And I got my whole cervello back on the road. And, and for the summer and this fall. And then I, uh, I got involved in cycling, in um, spinning, which I had never done before. Went to Canada Game Center and I decided to try it. And uh, I met a, an old friend. Well, not an old friend. He's an old friend now. But at that time, uh, the spinning instructor, George Petro, he's a Yugoslovakian guy, uh, just an amazing man. So I started spinning with him under his instructions, and I really kind of liked it, you know, spinning. And in in the, in the winter, all winter, the Canada Games uh, in 2019. And um, so when it came to the summer, we biked a little bit on the road, and I I, I saw people running, and I, I just geez, I missed that. I really. I really would like to to run again, and uh, but again, I didn't have any confidence. So one day, out of the blue, I said to George, "I said, I'm thinking of doing uh, a long bike ride, cycle ride. Are you interested? I wanted to, I want to get something done that needed to be hard, so I can get that confidence back." And he said, "Sure, I'm in." So we we planned this trip. Uh, to go to from Nova Scotia, Halifax, Nova Scotia, uh, to Miami Beach, and he was in. Uh, everything was all set. We had a lot of meetings, plans, and two weeks before um, our departure, he announced to me in the spinning class <laughs> in front of everybody. Uh, he said, "Read all. I can't go." Uh, for personal reasons, I can't go. Oh, wow. Um, so I said, okay. So I came home that night and that afternoon, and I said to Kathy, I said, George's not coming. Oh, she said, um, well, that's kind of good. <laughs> yeah, but I said, 
I'm going. So she was thinking that yeah, maybe you weren't going to do it at this point. And you, right. yeah, yeah. Right. So I said, no, I have to get my confidence back in something. Uh, I got to do something that's going to take an immense amount of courage and finish it. It has to be an end. It's got to be a finish line. So I said, if I can do this, well, I've accomplished something and I get my confidence back. So uh, on the 28th of August, three days before my sixth, fifth birthday, I left um, Halifax. And going, we did, did take the short, uh, the shortcut that uh, went through Moncton, New Brunswick, went all around uh, um, hole number six in uh, um, Port Elgin, Cameron Chidiac, Moncton. I have a daughter in Moncton, a little grandson that I wanted to see before I left for the for the big journey because who knows, maybe 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 they would never see me again. Just and, a- um, so Halifax to Miami, and you're setting out on this adventure solo, completely solo, 100% self-supported, just whatever you've got on your bike and your credit card, and that, that's it. Yeah. And it. what did you think, like, did you have any, like, you, you sounded like you didn't have too many doubts that, that crossed in your mind, but was there any, like, thought process, like, before you decided that you needed to do this for yourself, or it was pretty quick decision? You had your heart set on this adventure. And whether this guy was going or not, like you said, you, you needed to do this for yourself. I did. And there was no doubt uh, when I started. No doubt that I was going to do it. But there was a doubt a day later. I was going to say, I remember following along. It was early, early in, and you, you were hitting some pretty serious like resistance and early roadblocks to the trip, right? So... Let's well, the first day was, yeah, the first day was great. Uh, it was a beautiful day, and I had a, a friend of mine uh, that escorted me to Truro, and uh, it was a beautiful day. It was great. Uh, we ended up there, had lunch and a beer, and his wife picked him up. He went back. and The next day, uh, the, the forecast was not pretty. It looked like it was going to be a, some heavy rain, so... I figured I'm going to leave early in the morning and try to beat that rain. It was supposed to be two o'clock in the afternoon. So I said, well, I'm just going to Port Elgin. It's about 135 kilometers from Truro uh, on the back roads. So <laughs> I get up at five o'clock in the morning and I, uh, I'm out uh, and I'm going. And uh, half an hour later, I've taken the wrong, wrong road and I'm going towards Moncton through Mastown, which is a total different road. So anyway, I ended up turning around and, and, uh, but now I want to take a shortcut and I have my, I have my phone. So I'm looking to the shortcut here. Uh, so let's go there. So I went down that road for about 10, 15 kilometers. And all of a sudden I hit some gravel and rough bumpy roads and, 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 uh, with a bicycle loaded, all the, the bags on the side. There's no way I, I said, so where, where am I? And uh, it's a little bit funny because there was a, an older gentleman on the side of the road with his pickup truck, and I stopped to ask him where I was, you know, where I was. And 
I said, am I heading out to Tenemagosh? He said, yeah. And then he looked at me and he said, what are you doing here with this bicycle? Well, I said, I'm, I'm going to Miami Beach <laughs> to see what, what his reaction was. And he looked at me and he answered, I didn't know there was a Miami Beach in, in Nova Scotia. <laughs> so it was quite funny. So I asked, I asked him how to get out of there and get to a road where it was paved. And he said, well, you got to go over this mountain. And uh, he said, look, he said, you can't go over that mountain with that bike. I'll get into my back. I'll put it in the back of my truck. I'll take you over the mountain. I said, no, I can't do that. And that was my second day. I said, I can't do that. If I'm going to do this trip, I said, I, I have to do it. I can't be putting my bike in the back of people's pickup truck. So anyway, I went out and it was gravel and it was spinning. And, and when I got to the top of the mountain, I looked back and here he was following me to make sure that I was okay. Oh, wow. And I got to, I got to the top and he pulled over and he said, stop. And I stopped and he said, why are you doing this? Well, I said, you know, a couple of reasons, but one, I'm raising funds for uh, care foundation for, to put, backpacks on on kids that can't afford to have them and, and fill them up when we start school in september oh so he pulls out some money out of his pocket he was going to give it to me i said i'm sorry i said I, I i'm not taking any cash but i'll give you a card you can go on your computer and you can i get a gofundme set up gofundme computer <laughs> so, so i thanked him i said thank you for for letting me you know for showing me what to do so i know i, I took off and that day, um, it was a disaster that day. I went to get into Tatamagush and uh, went in for a coffee, come out, it's pouring rain. Um, so I didn't even, it was, it was warm rain, so I didn't bother putting the gear on. Uh, I just took off. And uh, about, I don't know, uh, 40 kilometers from Port Elgin, which is my destination, I had a, a bed and breakfast uh, booked there. Um, I was riding on the on the shoulder, this very narrow shoulder, and I was looking through my through the, my mirror from the back, and there was nobody coming, and there was nobody coming in front. So I decided to move on to the to the road, and I never noticed it was about a two inch step between the shoulder and the and the main road. So when I hit that, of course, we all know what happened. I crashed, and uh, I just went all over the place. The bike was in the ditch, and I was in the middle of the road, and and uh, my biggest concern at that point is that I damaged the bike enough that it won't ride. So I pulled it up and the bags that protected the bike. Uh, it must have been somebody upstairs that was looking after both of us, the bike and me. And uh, I looked at it. I, said, I had some burns on my shoulder, but you know, nothing more than that. So kept going. And we get to Port Elgin. And I sat on this beautiful veranda on this big bed and breakfast. I had gone to the liquor store and got myself a beer, brought it with me. And I was sitting there. And the lady comes out and she's like, are you Reno? And it's pouring rain. Like, I said, yes, I'm Reno. Oh, my God. She said, we never thought you were going to make it. She said, can I get you something? Can I get you a blanket? Can I get you? I said, no. I said, all I need right now is just to sit down and have my beer and think about what I just did today. And Rick, I'm going to tell you, it was the only time in 33 days that I had doubt in my mind. 
That is a know, rough way to start a trip that the, of that yeah. long. Yeah, 33 still not, days. S- still not out of the province yet. And I'm saying, do I really want to do this? And within seconds, I said, yeah, I want to do this. This is, this is what I need to do in order to get my confidence back. And, and I think that that goes to show you had a really strong purpose for that, for that ride. Like that, that was deep. Like you, you knew why you wanted to do that. So it was very easy in that moment of doubt to remind yourself of that because it was deeply important to you. Right. The mind is amazing. Yeah. Your mind is amazing. And, and somebody had told me this, I think you told me that, that 85% is in, is your mind and you you do ultras i mean <laughs> it has to be so much a mindful event that's uh, incredible and that this is what this was and every day after after four days i had tried to plan this thing like the whole trip or at least a week ahead of time there was no way there was no way so i decided to throw all my plans out and go one day at a time. And after all my blog every day, I would say it. I would say it to the people that would read the blog. I would say it so that I would read it again and say it one day at a time. I start in the morning. I'm not going to Miami. I'm just going to this little town here that's 150 kilometers away. This is all I have to do today. And I would look at the elevations and I would look at, at, you know, the weather. I would look at this is I'm going to choose this road today because but I'm going to try to end up somewhere around there. And it worked. It worked. And it was that's the only way you can do it. that I could do it. Um, to say I'm going from here to Miami Beach is a long ways. And it can be a very dark and depressing journey at that point because it's it's so far away. It's so far away yeah. if you're driving by car, let alone yeah. doing it by bicycle. <laughs> well, running is a bit like that too. I mean, yeah. it, if you say we're going to run a marathon or ultra marathon or 100 kilometers, 160 like you do, I, I'm sure you have to break it down in, in segments to say, I'm just going to go from there and from there. I'm going to go from there. Yeah. So when, when, when things are going decently well, it's you, you break it down and a lot of people will break it down running what's called aid station to aid station. So yeah. it's probably like, depending on the race, it might be six to 10 kilometers or, or maybe a bit longer depending on, on the race that you need to make it to. And that, that's your only goal in that moment. But there are times like when when your mind slips to that ultimate goal that has you running more than 24 plus hours that you become overwhelmed and it's hard not to, right? But you got to come back to the moment and just realize that you need to make it to that next checkpoint. Exactly. Exactly. But when things really, really hurt, it it becomes even more, more micro. Than, than that, you start looking at the next like tree that looks a little different down the road. And then you just need to make it to that tree. So exactly. The, 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 wor- the worst like a- it gets, the, the smaller the accomplishment needs to be. It's true. It is true. It's, it's, 
to me, it's like in my case, it was one day at a time, but it, it's breaking it down into segments. And every day is this, it's a different day. It was a different day. It was not one the same. Uh, had so many different things that happened on that, on that trip uh, that it's, it's just uh, amazing. But at the end of the day, it was just fantastic. It's just, it was just like a, at the end of a half marathon, 42.2. I've never done an ultra, but I remember doing the other ones. How, how good does it feel? At the end of all these, how good does it feel? You just say, man, I did that. So on that trip, it was the same thing every single day. I mean, I always get in and I find a little place in a little motel somewhere, and take my bike inside, take a shower, lay down, have a nice cold beer, and then write on my little phone and say how I felt, what the day was all about. And it was always a good day. You get most to, of the time. You got to experience and meet a lot of really kind people along the way too, right? Oh, incredible. Incredible. It's it's just uh um I was invited into pool tournaments, uh and pubs that I went to. Uh, um so many different things I was invited to. Well, I was plucked out of the Brooklyn Bridge. <laughs> was, you found out was, the wrong way that you weren't supposed to bike across that one. <laughs> I wasn't supposed to go there, but, uh, you know, they, the New York Police Department and uh, the Bridge Department, they closed down the lanes to get me off that bridge and had to bring a tow truck to take me off the bridge, uh, gave me a big speech. But all in all, uh, because I was a Canadian, and because I was doing it for a good cause, uh, it was going to cost me like a two thousand dollar fine to be up there, and the tow truck. You know, there was another hundred, two hundred. I don't know how much it would have been. So the New York City paid for it, and on top of that, I gave them my little cart, and they contributed to the. To the oh cost. wow! Uh, it was just amazing, but things that there, happened. There, there was another one too. You ended up. Was it was it your wallet or your passport that got left behind somewhere? And somebody actually drove, like, go to the kindness of their heart, like, drove and met you. Well, when I came, I, I was it was another uh, quite interesting event. It was a Ironman or Ironman event in Atlantic City, and I coordinated the whole trip to meet a friend of mine there. He didn't know I was going to be there, but he was participating in the uh, Ironman. And I wanted to be there to support him. So I ended up in Atlantic City and he ended up there. So we got together and spent three days. Uh, I supported him. And uh, while I was, when I was leaving, uh, we were putting his bike on a rental vehicle that he had gotten. And there was a pickup truck beside, parked beside him. And this guy was loading up a Cervelo. And just like mine, so I went out and said, how do you like your Cervelo? And he said, oh, I love it. And um, I said, how did you make out? Oh, he said, did good. And, and he said, how did you do? I said, well, I'm not in the event. I, said, I told him what I was doing. And he said, really? <laughs> <laughs> you're from Nova Scotia and you're going to Miami Beach. I was halfway, about halfway, maybe not quite. So, you know, he talked about it. And we exchanged contact information. His name is Jeff 
green. So anyway, I, I said, look, I said, when you get to Virginia, I said, there's a big bridge there and tunnels right across the, uh, 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 I can't remember what the name of it is anymore, but it's a big bay, about 25 kilometers. I said, any way that I can um, get a service there that will take me across. He said, no, they don't have it anymore. But he said, uh, if you call me when you get there, I'll come over and pick you up. Wow, really? Yeah. Oh, that's great. So anyway, this was two, three days later. Um, I arrived to uh, the crossing to Virginia. And I stay at a hotel. And this guy at the counter, and I, I'm telling him what I'm doing and all this. He said, oh, he said, I got contacts over at the bridge. He said, I'll call him and get him to, to, to take you across. It was the police. So anyway, he called him and we made an appointment the next morning. So I showed up. And you got an escort. <laughs> I got, uh, well, actually put my, my bike into their, their it's 25, 25 kilometers. So I put my bike into their, I had no choice there. Yeah. And uh, brought me across and got on the other side. I called Jeff Green. I told him, thank you so much, but I won't need your, you to cross me. And I said, take care. It was nice for you to offer. And I took off. I wasn't go, going very far that day. I was a little tired, and but I couldn't find a place to stay. So I ended up being about 100 kilometers from, from the bridge. So that day was about 185 kilometers. Uh, and then I was tired. I was really exhausted. It was hot. It was about 90 degrees Fahrenheit. So I got into a <laughs> little hotel I was going to get. I think it was a journey's end. And uh, there's a little store that uh, sells beer. So I go in there, I'm going to go get a couple of beers and I go in and I go to pick up my wallet and I kept my wallet, my credit cards, my cash, everything except for my phone. I kept it in this bag and I don't have the bag. The bag's wow. gone. And I said, Oh, it can't be. I must be in, you know, I got to check somewhere else. And my other, and I checked and it was gone. It must have been there. quite a sinking feeling in, in your stomach to discover that. Well, when, you, when you're in, in another country and you don't even have a passport, you have no identification, it's scary. So I'm standing there. And for those that are religious, you, <laughs> you can relate to this. This little lady, this little black lady comes out of the store. She's about four, eight, and she sees me. And I'm just standing there like stunned. And she comes to me and she looks at me and she looks up and she says, sir, are you okay? I say, yeah, I'm okay. She says, no, you're not. What's wrong? So I tell her that I've lost all my credentials. Well, she, she <laughs> opens up her, her purse and is going to give me some money. No, no. And I said, no, I can't do that. Well, she said, you need a place to stay. I have a place in my house. You can come over and stay. And this lady oh, was wow. 80 years old, honest to God. And, and she's driving this little car. I said, ma'am, I said, look, I said, I'm fine. I, I will, I will, I will be fine. I just need to start thinking of where I lost my equipment, my, my, my passport and all that. And she looked at me and she said, you will be fine. I'm going to pray for you. <laughs> and I said, Okay, I'll take that. <laughs> and she left, and she just kept looking at me. And and uh, anyway, after that, it was uh, it was a, 
quite a story. I was able to get a hotel by getting Kathy. I was able to get Kathy on my phone and she gave me the number of a credit card and finally got a room so I could go up and sit and think. And uh, the only thing I said, I'm going to call the bridge where the policeman took me across and see if somebody had reported it. And because I hadn't stopped too many places and I called and the gentleman that answered, I said, I told him who I was. And he said, oh, I remember you. He says, I'm the one that was driving you. So I told him that I lost my credentials. And he said, well, I haven't found it, but let me just go check in the truck. He said, the police truck's still outside. He said, I'll go check in it. And it wasn't, he said, I'll call you back. So it wasn't two minutes later, he called me back. And he said, is your name Reno Lavescu? <laughs> I was never so happy to hear my name pronounced that way because <laughs> I knew I knew then he had found it. And he said, yeah, I found it. He had said, it's all here. So I said, is there any way I can get it? Because they had gone back to the other side of the bridge. I said, any way you can, somebody can drive it to this side? He said, yes. He said, I'm on it right now. But he drove it 25 kilometers on this side of the bridge. And I said, now I got to find out how to go get it. And I'm almost 100 kilometers from there and uh, I was looking for people to give me a ride. I was prepared to pay them, but I had no money. I said, you have to trust me that I have money at the other end. So finally the name Jeff Green came to mind. I pick up the phone and he answered on the first ring. And I told him my, my, my scenario, he said, ah, my wife and I wanted to go for a ride tonight. So they got into their car, went out to the uh, the toll. I had to give the toll people all the information so they could pick it up. And they drove it over to me, 100 kilometers one way. Wow, somebody that you just happened to talk to in a, in a parking lot about a, a bike for five minutes. Yeah, yeah. five minutes. And uh, we've actually kept in touch. Him and I, he was, he was supposed to, uh, to come to Nova Scotia. He's a biker as well, like a motorcyclist. He was supposed to come to Canada and go to Newfoundland, and he was going to come back to Halifax, and he was going to stay with us. But because of the pandemic, he uh, he postponed it for a while. So we became friends, actually. Um, yeah, just amazing things that happened. It really goes to show that there is a lot of good out there in the world, and yeah, absolutely. And absolutely. if and if you're open to it, and you're nice, and you just interact with people like with a with an open heart that in in your time of need it does come back right yeah 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 that's so true amazing anyway the trip was a success Uh, i finished it on october the third and uh, stayed there for three days and returned on the 6th of october and all kinds of confidence. No, yeah, no, no. You, I, I don't think like the the hundred milers and other adventures that that I've done. I don't know how I would feel about starting off on an adventure one that's that long. Two, completely self-supported for thirty-three days. Like I think my my little brain would probably explode at the prospect of trying to trying to do that. Like I, I'm used to having a ton a ton of support 
like when I'm out doing things. So it's just like hats off to you being able to navigate and troubleshoot everything that, that came your way and you just weren't taking no for an answer. Yeah. Adversity and, and everything, like say after those first couple of days, it sounds like for the most part, you took the rest of it with a smile on your face. Oh yeah, it was, uh, it just became, and here's the, here's the thing. I'm sure that most of the people that are going to listen to this, you've heard the statement, if you're in the middle of an explosion, you don't hear the noise. Well, when you're in the middle of a journey, you don't see the, the bad things happening. It, it, you don't want to get scared because you're in the middle of it. But when you're out of it, it becomes a little scary. <laughs> and, and as an example, when I get into Florida, Miami Beach at the end, you've seen I, the, the V for victory. Uh, I ended up in a, in a bike shop and I had them, and they were waiting for me actually in celebration and all that. Uh, they packed up my bike and they shipped it back home. And I went to a hotel near the airport and uh, went to kill a couple of times, three times. But the first day after I finished, I woke up in the morning. I was I used to wake up in the morning at four thirty-five o'clock every morning, and that's how I would plan where I was going. And that morning, of course, I, I woke up and like I would every morning. And I went up and I opened up the door. And as soon as I opened up the door and I saw the traffic, and I saw the lights, and I, saw, I closed the door. <laughs> I was scared, very scared. I said, how did I do that? Imagine I was outside it. Yeah, there, there's a lot, probably a lot of emotions at, at the oh. end of that to, to process. Like one... Even though it's only like in the grand scheme of things, like thirty-three days in a in a lifetime or in a year, is is not that long of a time. But it is an awfully long time to be doing something like continuous yeah. journey, pushing your body forward. And it, there's a, an adjustment period where you need to adjust to being on the road. And then there's going to be an adjustment period when you're done that you no longer need to plan where you're going to be the next day. And that's going to feel weird. Very. Yeah. Very. And actually, I don't know if I would do something like that again. I think to me, that was a, that was it. That was my bucket list thing. And, and I did it, but at the same time, I really miss it. I really yeah. miss those, what I went through it, but it's the same as running. I mean, running, I mean, it's such a, it's a great feeling when you finish a run and you've accomplished something. Yeah. And for me, I had 33 runs and yeah. succeeded every one of them. Some of them were hard. Some of them were, you know, I'll tell you, Nova Scotia and Maine uh, were tough. <laughs> were tough. I mean, they were hills and, you know, I've had some mechanical problems and, uh, you know, you don't have a vehicle behind you to change the flats and, um, you know, there's so many things that did happen. And uh, it's in a book, by the way. Uh, there will be a book. Oh, that's it, amazing. The, the book is at the publishers now. And uh, 
it, the book is going to be called, uh, it is called In and Out of the Saddle. And uh, it suits well because, you know, when you're going uphill and we all know how it's, how it feels to be on sitting on the, on the bike seat for, you know, five, six hours a day. It's pretty hard. So you get up and you bike up, you bike down, you sit and you stand and you sit and you stand. And so that's what the, uh, the, the actually, uh, my wife, Kathy, wrote the book. She's a good writer, and uh, she had it edited, and uh, it's quite interesting. I am really so, looking forward to that. I think that's Yeah, be... yeah. So uh, we don't have it yet, but hopefully for too, too long, it'll be published, and we'll be selling them. Half of it, half of the proceeds goes to uh, the Carefree Foundation, which is the foundation that I wrote for. When, when I heard what you were fundraising for, like that just... I think it just kind of struck a chord like in, in my heart. Like that was such a good cause and not one that you hear a lot of people raising, raising money for. And it's giving kids what they need to, to go to school. Like that's pretty yeah. amazing. Yeah. Well, um, and it's done in a very confidential method way that the lady that started it uh, is a teacher and she was much involved. So she knows all the principals of different schools. And, uh, she knows who they are. Or, um, you know, they try to do it very quietly so nobody gets embarrassed. But uh, it's a good, a good cause. So 33 days later, and we have successfully proved that Reno can, in fact, do hard things and succeed at an impossibly hard challenge. We're coming back. We have a newfound confidence that I was there all along, but had to be rediscovered. And like you said, it kind of comes full circle because it was just like going out for a run and you're just building all this momentum along the way, just day after day, as you are succeeding in those benchmark goals along the way so when you're back what's going through your mind when you're back here in in nova scotia when you get home well the, the first uh, couple of months i guess two or three months i was just uh and just in neutral <laughs> just yeah you know, just, just didn't know what to do I think it, <laughs> really it, it, it takes a long sure. time it takes a long yeah. time to come down off of yeah. something that uh, of that magnitude, I would imagine. I know, like it takes a while to process running a hundred mile race, and that takes place over a day, a day and a half, or whatever it might be. So, doing something for thirty three days straight, I imagine, even just to let your mind recover from that, like you say, just being a neutral, it takes a while. Exactly, and and then. Uh... Uh, we come back, uh, I think it was October 3rd, or I thought October 6th when I, when I arrived. Uh, a couple of months later, um, all of a sudden, this pandemic started to be talked about. And everybody's just kind of wondering what they really, what's going on. And in, the, in March, uh, Kathy and I decided to sell our house and uh, move into an apartment which we always wanted to do anyway. I did. <laughs> anyway, but we sold the house. The apartment that we were moving in, this apartment here, um, 
wasn't ready. So we moved into a little cottage on the lake, Anthony's Plains Road. And I think that was probably one of the best thing we've done in a long time. Uh, we kind of became quarantined, I guess, if you want to call it that. Kathy and I decided that we were going to spend a lot of time by ourselves. We couldn't see our grandkids. Uh, usually, Kathy would go to Buffalo, to Buffalo or Texas, I guess, where our grandkids are. I have one in Moncton. Uh, but now we can't do that anymore. So we had to spend a lot of time. So we decided to exercise by walking. Kathy can't, can't run anymore. She's, she has some knee problems, but she can walk. So that's what we decided to do. We started March, April, May, June. I think we probably walked somewhere around three to 400 kilometers. We had some long walks, like 15 to 20. Was this at the time is kind of like the, a virtual thing, but not a virtual thing. You guys were doing the, the distance of the, one of the, the famous trail in, in Spain, right? Yes, we, that's, that's, that's correct. Because we had, we had done that. I forgot to mention that we did uh, do a thousand kilometers in the Camino in Spain. And in, uh, that was also took us 33 days. <laughs> Wow, never even thought about that, but that was 33 days. So you, um, you did the actual the actual trail in in Spain, you and Kathy? Yes. Yeah, yeah. We did it. We did it in 2000 and uh 2012, 2011, just before we moved to Halifax and then we took off. Uh we started in the uh, Saint-Jean-de-Pied-Pas in France and we climbed up the Pyrenees Mountains and went across the northern Spain until we hit the Atlantic Ocean. That was quite a walk. I imagine there was a lot of stories from from that walk. But then you and Kathy were getting into into walking back here, and you were essentially reliving that experience, right? Like you exactly. were, yeah, yeah. You were taking yeah. it as a virtual experience, and you were going virtually from from town to town and using that to right. sort of motivate these really long walks that, that you guys were exactly. going and doing. Yeah, yeah exactly. That's, yeah, we did a lot of that. But we never realized that, uh, again, uh, when we walked here, uh, and we did 21 kilometers, we have a marathon. That was a long walk, you know, when you think about it. But when we were actually in the middle of, of doing an event uh, such as the one in the, in the Camino, uh, we did 30, 33 with big backpack. Well, not big backpacks. And because it was, uh, again, we were in the middle of the explosion. We never even thought about you it. You don't think twice about it when you're there. No, yeah. you just go. I mean, you just go. And at the end of the day, you've got 30, 33. We averaged 33 a day, every day, wow. every single day. And uh, But when you're doing it here as an exercise to do 20 kilometers after you're done, you say, oh, that was, that was pretty tough. <laughs> yeah. but we're not in the middle yeah so that's what we did in 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 2020 uh, that was part of it and then when we come out of that that's when i i think it was in october i got a hold of you and said okay i i want to start training for something and what was my goal what did i tell you what my goal was you remember you wanted to have fun and reconnect with your love of running and i was so happy to hear you say that. And I was beyond ecstatic that 
the the mindset and your relationship was just coming back to a place of fun. That's all I wanted to do. I said I wanted to complete uh, a ten kilometer run and and, and smile and, and and really enjoy it. And um, that's I think the way we approached it. And uh, you know it'll probably go a little further than that down the road, but I'm getting there. Um, had a little bit of setback with my knee, which is it's fine now. But what I would tr- what I learned from the last time you coached me. And the last time you coached me, it was, I always did too much or more than what you told me to do. And I remember one time, I think you mentioned to me, Reno, you never do what I tell you to do. You always do more. And I said, yeah. And that's, that's what happened to me in my business world. We set up goals and, you know, we never went for the goal. We always went for over the top and, and too much. Well, I think in, what you were coaching me, what you were trying to teach me, and I know you were very uh, nice about it. You didn't, because I was an old guy, and you didn't say to me, Rito, slow down. I mean, I'm telling you to do this. Why is it that you're doing that? But I've learned it the hard way. And I think now I'm falling pretty close. Yeah, you're, you're, doing, you're doing really well. I think things are going really well, this go around. Yeah. And again, I've got, I've got more tools in, in my toolkit now. For, yeah. for approaching those situations um, differently now than than I would have back with you a few years ago. Again, it's all part of a learning and development process as as a coach as well. But um, I say your your mindset is different, your approach is different, and you can just tell that you're you're enjoying it more. Like you still have that ultimate goal like we said at the beginning of you'd like to get back to the that place of lining up for another marathon and again but that i don't think there's the same level of of stress about the whole situation now no i think that the way i look at it now is uh if i ever and i hopefully i will attempt another bq which i i'm sure i will uh i'm just going to do it slow i'm gonna do it slow just so that i can beat the pq uh and i know i can do that because i got older now i got more time to do it <laughs> I, not not just because of that as i i know i know you're capable uh of doing it and given the right uh right circumstances like we talked about earlier that uh you you will have your day I yeah I, I'm very confident that, uh, that I will. I got a good coach. <laughs> I love how we brought that full circle around. It's all all about confidence and and faith in the in the process and having the right mindset when it comes to when it comes to training. For sure, absolutely. Wow. So I think I think we pretty much did it, um, but. Before I let you go, I want to ask you a couple of couple of questions. I like to end the show just sort of going back and revisiting a few topics uh, that we've talked about, and just try and leave the the listeners with some with some insights or some takeaways from some of the things that that we've been talking about, and. 
I'd say knowing what you know now, what's your advice for someone who is chasing after a big goal, like a, like a BQ, like some sort of time standard? They've got this really big goal. It's at the edge of the edge of what they're capable for. What would you say to this person when they're starting out this, this journey? Wow. Well, that's a good question, Rick. I think it would, the answer would probably is what I'm trying to answer to myself right now. My next uh, BQ attempt is we're not going to try so hard because I think in, in anything, when you try to push, push and push too hard, just just don't quite get there. It's like the throttle of a car. If you push it right, to, you hit it right to the bottom when you start. And you try hard, you try hard to get there. And all of a sudden, you know, you get halfway and you say, oh, wow, I'm going too fast. I'm going to slow down. But by this time, I think it's you've already hurt yourself. I think you're already used more fuel and that you don't, might not have enough to get to the end. So I think you take it more steady from the start. And I think most people that start their first attempt to qualify for any goal, you're so scared not to achieve it, they go at it too hard from the start. So my suggestion is just start it slow. Finish it hard. Start it slow. A hundred percent agree with that. It goes right back to that amazing half marathon experience that you had. You you Excellent. ran it with a lot less stress in your head. It was a training run. You started out and you were enjoying it and you just, you ran to your ability that day. You ran to your potential. Exactly. And if you can find a way to reconnect with that without adding in the stress and anxiety beyond lining up for a, a big goal, it's like you said, when, when you find that mindset where, where you can take the foot off the gas just a little bit, and surrender a little bit more to the process or surrender a little bit more to the the action steps that you need to take in order to achieve that goal. It relieves a lot of the noise and the pressure around that situation. And it's funny, like not expending as much mental energy in that direction and maybe actually doing a little less, like you say, backing off in the training, not not trying to overdo things by or thinking that you need to to do more than what's prescribed in that training plan so by actually doing less and being a little smarter about it and focus changing the focus on that mindset to to having fun i think is is going to pay off big time for you and i'm i'm really excited to see see where it goes um so the next question is, I think we touched, we, we've talked about this a little bit, but I don't think we quite hit on, on the specifics of it. Is I definitely confessed that I don't know if I would have the courage to set off on my bike and head to, head to Miami. 
<laughs> that that just has my has my brain uh, exploding a little bit. But I'm sure that you learned a lot on on that. We'll call it an expedition because that's really what it was big big expedition, a big adventure. But I'm wondering what sort of words of of wisdom you have for somebody that is is looking at doing something of this this magnitude, and maybe it's a long bike ride, or maybe it could be like a big through hike, or it could just be something that takes a long time to to chase after. And you, you needed to maintain focus. It takes a lot of planning, and like you learned, you need to be flexible. So uh, I'm wondering. Like, what's the biggest thing that you learned out of that adventure? Like, and what what advice do you have for somebody that wants to tackle something of of that magnitude? Time. <laughs> if you have time, you can do a lot of things if you have time. You know, I did it in thirty three days. You know, you can do it forty days or sixty days in life. I think. You have to approach that that way. If you have, if you take time to do things, and you know, again, I was brought up as a gold kind of guy. They used to call me Reno is all gold. It's all about goals, and it's fine. I mean, it's something that you need to have. You need to have goals, but sometimes you reach out too far for those goals, and you forget what's in between. Between you stand where you stand where the goal is and again I, I'll repeat what I said orig- originally or earlier in the evening you need to break those goals into segments because it's some scary when you reach out for a goal that's too big and you haven't been able to digest what's in between so for me that's what I learned on that trip and I only learned it after the first week because I was looking too far ahead so I decided that one day at a time, just take it one day at a time. And it's so easy. And <laughs> you say, okay, fine, I'm going to go from here to there. No, that's not for, forget about the next day for now. And that's what I did. And that's the only way I could, I could be a successful, it could be a successful trip. One day at a time. And if you look at that, I think you must have, you might have read some of my blogs. I read, I read them all. I was, I was following that along very closely. <laughs> Thank you. But at the end of all, it just, was just one day at a time, and uh, I was finished the next morning. My biggest challenge, or my, my biggest fear, I had fears, was when I woke up in the morning. For the first one minute, I would wake up. It was dark. I'd forgotten where I was. <laughs> And then you start, the brain starts to work. Okay, where am I going today? Where am I going today? So you wake up, turn the light on. No coffee. There was no coffee in the room. I was always used to having a coffee every morning. I wouldn't take a shower because I took one the night before. So I just sat there and threw some water in my face. And okay, where am I going today? So turn on that iPhone and. Look at the elevations, do a little study. Okay, this. And then you open up the door, look what the wind is like. What am I going to be facing today? Is it coming from the east, from the north, from the west? So I, I do that little 
and then you plan it, and then you go. And that, just that day. And you forget about it the next day. Yeah. And I say that is such great advice, not only in endurance sports, but in, in life in general, I think. Like, you need to have a direction to point that compass in. Yes. And I, knew I, was going, I knew I was going south. You, you knew you were going south and you had an you had an ultimate an ultimate destination. Right. And you had a rough plan of how to get there. Right. And from from the outset, it seemed like quite an overwhelming journey. And most people tend to vastly underestimate what they can accomplish in the long term. And they vastly overestimate what they can accomplish in in the short term. So it's kind of these two opposing forces. But when you break things down into very manageable chunks, one day at a time, and you point them in the right direction, it's pretty amazing what you can accomplish at the end of the end of the adventure. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's that's exactly right. You get time. And you get direction. Hundred percent. Thank you so much, Reno, for taking the time to sit down with me. I really enjoyed getting to catch up with you without my coach hat on, and it's always a pleasure to to talk with you. So thank you. Well, thank you, Rick. Thank you for having me on your podcast. Uh, really enjoyed it. Also, thank you for being my coach. You're a great coach. Um, you know, I'm looking forward to continue to this uh, to this end of journey to get my BQ. And as far as the Boston, uh, I'll probably do the Boston if I qualify to go. But it wasn't. It wouldn't be as important as the Boston qualifier because that's always the one that you really want. Uh, so we'll be celebrating when that happens. I certainly hope so. We're going to get there for sure. All right. Talk to you later. All right. What did you guys think of that one? I hope it landed well for you. I truly do hope that for anyone who is out there chasing a Boston qualifying marathon time or is thinking about doing it, that this helped shed a little bit of a different perspective on that pursuit. Like chasing after a Boston qualifying time when it is at the limit of your potential is really hard. And it takes a lot of courage to keep lining up to the start line, to keep trying this goal. Um, when you, when you've given it your all, um, and you don't actually hit that goal the first time or the second time. To me, that is just absolutely amazing when you keep showing up and giving it your best. If you enjoyed the show and you want to show your support, the best thing that you can do is subscribe and leave a review. If you've already done that, then it would mean so much to me if you share this episode with your friends on social media. I love seeing posts or getting tagged in people's stories. It's really awesome. I really need your help to grow the show in order to make this sustainable so I can keep bringing you conversations with real runners in our community who are out there doing amazing things. 
Thanks so much for listening, and until next time.